0: I hope you had a terrific Christmas. I had a nightmare. I thought that I'd get sick and miss all 22 services. We had our climax of Christmas candlelight services after all the Advent services. One choir candlelight service on a Saturday night. Had three family candlelight services on Monday, Christmas Eve, 3.30, 5, and 6.30 wrapped up the Christmas Eve with a repeat of the choir candlelight service at 10.30. Then we had five funerals between Monday and Saturday before Christmas. There's a wonderful movie shown around Christmas time every year on NBC. It's called It's a Wonderful Life. One of my favorite lines in that movie comes at the very beginning. Clarence, the angel of second class, is about to get this assignment to go out and to help this guy who is in trouble. The superior angel says, you've got to go help this guy. His name is George Bailey. Clarence says, what is it? Is he sick? I love the response that he gets. He says, no, it's worse than that. He is discouraged. I love that line because discouragement, that the lack of all hope, can be worse than physical illness. In your notes then, the lack of hope can be worse than physical illness. So today we want to talk about God's gift of hope through the Christmas message. That is hope promised for life and for death. So the lack of hope is worse than physical illnesses. There's a guy by the name of Major Harold Kushner, who was a POW in Vietnam. He talks about devastating effect of hopelessness on human beings. So he describes one 24-year-old American Marine who was a POW in Vietnam. This Marine decided to cooperate with the Viet Cong who had captured him. He said, if you promise to let me go, I'll do whatever I can to cooperate with you. They said, great, it's a deal. So he did everything to cooperate. He was a model prisoner. He was even a leader of the camp's thought reform group. After a while, it became very clear to him they were lying to him. They were not going to let him go when that realization took hold this is how Major Kushner described what happened to him he just became a zombie he refused to do any work he rejected all offers of food and encouragement he simply laid in his cot sucking his thumb in a matter of weeks he was dead I would guess if there is a one-word cause of death for him, this young Marine, it would be hopelessness. In fact, doctors with <coughs> in that World War II, in Korea, in Vietnam, all said prisoners who died from the condition of what they called give up itis. What they mean by that is The prisoners faced grim conditions with no prospects of freedom. Some of them became demoralized. Some of them became mired in their despair. And after a while, they became very apathetic. They refused food. They refused drink. They would spend their life in their bunk just staring into space. With all their hope drained away, these prisoners eventually wasted away. They died. They died of give-up-itis. The human spirit needs hope. The human spirit needs hope in order to survive and to thrive. Look at what Solomon said in Proverbs 13, verse 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. Solomon recognizes this truth 2,500 years ago. If God created human beings with a craving for hope, it's no surprise that He would also then serve to be our ultimate hope Himself. There is in your notes now 95 references to hope in the Old Testament. 95. And there's another in your notes 85 references to hope in the New Testament. So the theme of hope is woven throughout all of Scripture is our focus in this Christmas season with the birthday of Jesus. So in our everyday conversations, we often speak of hope, but we speak of hope in non-biblical ways. There are ways not consistent with what the Bible refers to when it is talking about hope. So three ways which are poor substitutes for hope. Number one, sometimes we talk about hope we really mean in your notes know, just wishful thinking. Wishful thinking is when we try hope the things in or out of existence. We blow out the candles on our birthday cake and say, I hope. I hope I have another year of health. We pick up the Wall Street Journal and say, I hope my dot com stock has gone up. We turn on the TV and say, I hope the Cavaliers won their game. Wishful thinking is that kind of hopeful feeling. That somehow, way, things are going to go the way we want them to go. Even though we have absolutely no power over the situation. We don't have any power to make it happen. That's wishful thinking. Number two, a second non-biblical idea of hope in your notes is what I've called blind optimism. It's great to be an optimistic person. But this person there with blind optimism sees everything through rose-colored glasses. They paper over their problems as if they did not exist. They avert their eyes from the ugliness of the world. To them, everything is just fine. All the time. You know, some religions take this approach too. For example, Christian scientists. They say all evil, all sickness... Ultimately, it's just an illusion in your mind. It's not real. Sort of like the sign on the bulletin board at the grocery store. It said, lost. Dog with three legs. Blind in left ear or eye. Missing a right ear. Tail is broken. And he answers to the name Lucky. You can call that dog Lucky all you want, but that dog is not Lucky. Sometimes people in their blind optimism will pretend things are great when they're not. And blind optimism is never biblical hope. Number three, a third non-biblical idea of hope in your notes is what I've called ambitious dreams. These are lofty goals we tend to set about this time of the year. They're often called New Year's resolutions. Next year, I'm going to buy a new car, next year, I'm really going to improve my golf game. Next year, I really want my marriage to become better. Now instead of just saying it, we invest as if we invest some time, or we might set up a plan, we might even get out there on that practice screen. Because all of that is fine. It's wonderful to be somewhat ambitious. The problem is that often we are restricted, restricted by our own limitations by things that are out of our control. You know, I can shoot baskets on the driveway night and day, but I'll never realize my ambition, dream of playing in the NBA. You're planning to retire with a big nest egg, but your company is closing down. So the dreams of 28,000 people have all been dashed. They're out of a job. It's beyond their control. For most people, hoping. Hoping is something they do. So in your notes, biblical hope is never... Biblical hope is never something you do. The Bible talks about hope as something very, very different. So in your notes, it is hope about something that you can have. Yeah, there's a big difference there. Hope is something you can have. You can actually possess it. You can own it. You can grab a hold of it. And for the believer who knows Jesus... The definition of hope in your notes is hope is the confident expectation that God is able to fulfill the promises he has made to you. Just look at 1 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. We have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. See, the Bible refers to hope that is based in your notes, a hope that is based on the resurrection. And through his resurrection, Jesus, he demonstrated once and for all, beyond any doubt, that he is God, and that he really does possess the power to fulfill all his promises that he makes to us. Promises that he will change our lives. Promises that he will guide us. Promises that he will walk side by side with us through the turbulences of life. Promises that we can cause good to emerge from the personal problems we face. Promises that he will grant us eternal life in heaven with him. See, the resurrection is an actual physical event in history that sealed Christ's identity as being God. A God who loves us who is committed to helping us. Look at Hebrews 6, verse 19. This hope, the writer of Hebrews says, is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. See, all hope is as good as what is attached to. Hope is only as good as what is attached to it, what it's anchored to. Hope in and of itself has no power. You can wish for something, you can hope for something, but only way hope has power If it's anchored to God, God alone has real power. So I'm going to talk about, in conclusion, two keys, two key reasons. Christians can have hope. Number one, in your notes we can have hope because we are absolved of our past. See, we have forgiveness of our past failures. Jeremiah says in Lamentations 3, I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercy never ceases. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. See, the writer is saying there that we can live with hope as followers of Jesus. Because even though we may fail God, which we all do, even though we may fail our children in some way, we all do. Even so, God's compassion, God's forgiveness, God's absolution for those wrongs we have done in our past. They're never exhausted. God's absolution is fresh, is available every single day. In a movie several years ago called City Slickers, I remember one favorite phrase on the back of your notes. It's called do over. So these three guys are going out west on a cattle drive. They've been drinking One of them got really, really depressed. He realizes that his life is a mess. He has committed adultery. He may never see his children again. His wife is going to leave him. His wife's dad is his boss. and He's going to lose his job. He's going to be unemployed. He's lonely. He's at a dead end. He has wasted his life. His friends try to cheer him up. They say, remember, remember when we were kids, remember when we played ball, remember what we yelled when the ball got stuck up in that tree. What did we yell? We yelled, do over. So this guy says, great, it's do over because I need a fresh start. So when you think about that movie, whether is this guy going to get a fresh start from without having Jesus Where is he going to get a do-over if it's not from Jesus? Because Jesus is in the do-over business. Jesus has promised... If if Jesus had a business card, it would say Jesus Christ, do-over. That's his job. That's Jesus' ministry. That's his mission. So Jesus can absolve you of your past because his compassion is new every morning. See, guilt... Guilt tells the Christian that he has been disqualified. Guilt says he never deserves a clean slate. Guilt squeezes the hope right out of you. The Christian's guilt, however, in your notes, needs grace. Guilt needs grace from God. And through grace, God's riches at Christ expense, the Christian knows that God does not disappoint. He is there for us every single day. God is a God of do-overs. So we have hope because we are absolved of our past. Number two, the second key reason Christians have hope is because in your notes, we are assured of our future. So we are absolved of our past. And we are assured of our future. Look at what Paul says to Titus. Verses 5 and 7. He saved us. It's not because of any good deeds that we ourselves had done, but because of His own mercy that He saved us, so that by His grace we might be put right with God and come into possession of eternal life that we hope for. So we want a prescription for our hopelessness, we want a prescription for our despair. In your notes, one out of six Americans. One out of six Americans believes there's nothing after death. One out of six. No wonder we have hopelessness in our land. Some people are going to to turn to wishful thinking. Maybe I'll come back and reincarnated, they say. Other people are engaging to blind optimism. They say, I just won't think about it. Maybe when I'm ready to die, they'll have a cure. Others are pursuing ambitious dreams. I'll cut my cholesterol in half. I'll extend my lifespan through hard work. But there is finally a really ugly statistic in this world. In your notes, death plays a perfect game. One out of one dies. It's 100%. One out of every one dies. And we don't even see it coming. So in conclusion, look what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1. It says, prayer for you and me. I have not stopped thanking God, he says, for you. I pray that you, for you constantly asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I also pray that your hearts will be flooded with light So that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. So Paul talks about this confident hope. In your notes, how you face death, how you face death says a lot of how you face life. You're not prepared to live until you're prepared to die. So life on this earth is just dress rehearsal before the real production in heaven. And you will spend far more time on the other side of death, in eternity, than you will spend here. Earth is just a practice round. Earth is the workout before the actual game. It's the warm-up lap before the race begins. So you start living daily in this life in light of eternity. So in your notes, the closer you live to God, the closer you live to God, the smaller. Everything else appears. Your problems that seem so important will appear trivial, unworthy of your attention in fact just as those nine months that you spend in your mother's womb they were not the end of life rather they were preparation for life so also this life today is only preparation for the next it's the doorway to eternity finally in your notes death will be your birthday death itself will be your birthday your birthday into eternal life God is a God of hope. He gives us his gift. So we are absolved of our past. We are assured of our future. So please read with me Hebrews 13, verse 14, together out loud. This world is not our home. We are looking forward to our everlasting home in heaven. Amen.